Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. It's uh, a scream thing that we do whenever we hit an anniversary. And I'm Joe. <laughs> and I'm Trace. And yes, everyone, we are continuing a tradition that we started last year in which we uh, talked about 25 things we loved about the original Scream. And now we're going to be talking about 25 things we love about Scream 2 just in time for its 25th anniversary. And if you're a patron, you're getting a double dose of Scream 2 today since you can go and listen to our audio commentary of Scream 2 right now. Indeed. Yeah. So much Scream 2 because it's only, hmm, checks notes. The best fucking horror sequel of all time, Trace. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't even, like, want to, like, check you because I think you're right. Like, it, of it course. Is, yeah. so, and I know there are some naysayers out there, and I know you're wrong, but it's okay. Yes. And <laughs> we're going to talk about why. And it, here's the thing, because this is kind of a, I don't want to say weird thing of lists that we're going through, but it's not just like a, like, we'll have your general shit, like, but we also go through, like, really specific things. Like, I remember last mm-hmm. year for Scream, I talked about a very, very specific music cue that plays whenever Drew Barrymore's parents are driving home as a uh-huh. reason that I, like, scream (laughs) yeah yeah it's not even just that you and i know a lot about these movies we do i would argue a lot of folks do it's that for some reason these movies have had this massive impact on our psyches so like these are lines that i quote to my sister all the time that like i bother my husband with that when i think of scream 2 here are some of the things that i always think of even though they're such random ridiculous little moments yeah and that's the thing too i, mean, I think a good chunk of our list are quotes so i tried I, we both tried a little bit to like not do all quotes Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, it, these are things that like, I will just be walking down my hallway in, in my apartment and my husband will just say one of Scream 2's lines when we're talking. Like, it's just like, uh-huh. it's just something that we quote nonstop. And some of those quotes will be in this list today. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So we each have 12 and we tried to make sure that we didn't overlap. And then we had to come to consensus on the top ranked piece. So they're not in any kind of order. I think we we aim to sort of go a little chronological here throughout the film. But at the end of the day, uh, this is just 25 random reasons why we love this movie. Yeah. And you know what? Because mine actually is the very, very, very first thing we hear in the movie. So mm-hmm. I'll go first. Um, if you listened to our Scream 2 episode a couple of years ago, um, you will maybe remember an anecdote where I discussed, uh, I misheard and did not know the song that opens the film. Oh, boy. <laughs> so the song is She's Always in My Hair by Dan. Angelo, which is a cover of the Prince song, which, yes, I had to look that up today because I still didn't have that. You still don't know. I don't know that song at all. Music's not your thing. Still. (laughs) Because the lyrics that I hear, it's the it's the do, 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 do. She's gone crazy, my girl. And that is not the lyric. (laughs) That is not it. <laughs> Fail, <laughs> but I, and then it's like as we cut to the theater. So that that is uh-huh. a reason why I love Scream Two because it is a lyric that I have completely gotten wrong every like, all hundred times that I've seen this movie, and I still sing it the same way. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, yeah. 
folks will hear me talk a little bit about why I'm so in love with the concept of stab. And I feel like I bring it up whenever we have the opportunity to talk about a scream to and on film. But uh, I just think it's so ingenious where we as an audience know that what Casey Becker, who is played by Heather Graham in this film, when she gets a line wrong from the first movie. So for me, my absolute favorite of her very limited screen time is when she says, you know, I don't even know you and I dislike you already. <laughs> you know what's really funny? Hey, this line is gold. Um, but you had actually written this incorrectly on our sheet that we're reading off of and I had to go in and correct you. <laughs> <laughs> But what I also love about this is that I, whoever, I guess Kevin Williamson and Aaron Kruger, whenever they were writing or doing whatever their parts were on Scream 4, they knew, they knew this was a line that people really liked and had mm-hmm. the, the Stabathon people quote that line in this movie. <laughs> so good. So fucking good. Uh, so this next one's just a basic quote because, again, this is one that my husband and I say all the time, but it's whenever uh, Jada Pinkett Smith tells Omar Epps, I got my money. I asked for your money. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. That is an eminently quotable quote. It's so good. And you know, it's it's the thing, while Scream 2 is my favorite entry in the franchise, it is not my favorite opening. It's not even my second favorite opening in the franchise. But mm-hmm. there are little things in this opening that I'm like, oh, but it's still so good, though. Oh, for sure. In fact, my next one is in keeping with that same sentiment. And it is the absolute, just like sheer despair and raw emotion that Jada Pinkett Smith evokes when she dies on stage after no one has helped her. Just watching her scream with the lights flashing in her face and everyone realizing, holy shit, this is actually real. And then she just falls over dead and we get that Scream 2 logo on there. Oh, you I know, I'll piggy. This isn't one of my picks, but I'll piggyback on that because it's it's, it's not just her scream because there's a moment after she screams where she just goes, Ugh! like 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 she. Yeah. It, it's and it's it's such a human raw mm-hmm. thing. And then when she falls, like you know, her head like drops and she's dead. Yeah. And the camera holds there for I want to say three seconds before we get that it's scream. Eternity. Time guard. Yeah. So good, so good. But rewinding a tiny bit, um, I do love. So this is another one of my entries. Um, it is when mm-hmm. Omar Epps gets stabbed by the knife, but we just. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He's listening to what Ghostface is saying, and the transcription on my subtitles is, please don't, mommy, no, I'll be good. You want to know why? Why I did it, mommy? I'll tell you. Really, I'll tell you why I did it, mommy. Listen, mommy. Listen, mommy. Stab. And mm-hmm. you can't hear all that, but no. you can read it on the subtitles, and it's just, I I don't know what this is, but it's so weird and so funny. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure people have speculated all of the different horror movies that Kevin Williamson could be referencing with this. I always choose to think of it as a bit of Black uh, Christmas, but we'll see if anybody uh, else has any other thoughts. Uh, people sometimes think Friday the 13th because there's a part mm-hmm. where Mrs. Voorhees ta- speaks like Jason, which is like, right. kill her, mommy, kill her. So right. some people think that, too. Yeah, I love that Williamson just keeps us guessing 25 years later. Yep. <laughs> okay, so mine is another quote. It's actually a pair of quotes in Sydney's new introduction. So it's opening weekend of Stab. She's already fielded a really stupid person who doesn't know what caller ID is. <laughs> and we're introduced uh, to the fact that the murders have happened by check out the news, girl. <laughs> check out the news. <laughs> I love this glorified fucking extra as much as I like the blonde cheerleader in Scream 1, just iconic yeah. delivery of a line where you're just like, that should not be memorable. And yet it absolutely is. 
But then talking about a proper character, my tie quote for this is when Hallie mimics Sid throughout the entire first half of the film where she's like, I'm fine. Yes, you're fine. It's stretched firmly all over your face. (laughs) Hallie's the best friend. We should all aspire to have a Hallie. Oh, I know. Love Hallie. And fun fact, actually, so if you got the 4K of Scream 2 that was released this year, if you look closely Mm -hmm. at that caller ID, you can very clearly see that the uh, the text on the caller ID is just a sticker that's pasted on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. 4K ruining my childhood dreams. Uh, okay, so my next one is my first general thing, and that is the entire film school class scene. Ah, uh, yes. I say this because I know people hate this scene, because A, this is not what film school is, but I bring no. it up. Oh, God, no. <laughs> because this is the scene that made me, I mean, outside of my general love for film, this is the scene that made me want to go to film school. I was like, oh. I can go to film school, and I can talk about movie sequels. Like, that is, mm-hmm. that's not what it is. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but they got you in the door, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Got me in the door, and I even love that randy gets the aliens line wrong even though it is a really egregious uh uh mistake in this movie but Mm -hmm. it's also a reshoot because there is a deleted scene of what the original version of this scene was and we don't have sarah michelle geller in it and it's like it's bad it's really bad so if you don't like this scene i implore you to go watch the alternate version and see what it could have been which was worse it's so cheap looking it's hysterical Mm -hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my next one is also not a quote so pat on the back for both of us mine is just gail's chunky streaks like this movie was a moment and i do think it's very weird how for no reason at all we just dress sydney and gail very identically with like similar haircuts yeah and they both have streaks to be clear but gail's are just so fucking 1997 to me it's hilarious and every time i watch this movie i'm like oh right chunky streaks were a thing back then it's so weird though because like you can see you know she's in friends during all of these movies except for the fourth one so so the first three i'm sorry Mm -hmm. and you can see like you know her hair in the movies mirror in in the the show whenever it's there she had this hairstyle without the streaks in friends Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. the red streaks were very specifically a gale choice and i just find that fascinating i love it i love it um my okay my next one again this is something i found out later in life but yeah so the the, the music that makes up dewey's theme the mm-hmm. bow, 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 bow. Oh, love it love it that is a reused score from the movie i think it's john woo uh broken yep. arrow it is yeah. and you know it's a thing where you know like when they made the film you know they were rushing to get this from the theaters and they had a temp score on this scene because marco beltrami hadn't composed the, his, dewey's theme yet and it just worked so well that they kept it and yes. I, I, you know what? It works. I have never seen Broken Arrow, but I'm just going to say without having seen it that it probably works better here than it did in Broken Arrow. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a completely different context. So it's very weird to have seen both of them and to see them kind of play out in their respective movies. But yeah, I mean, this, I'm going to say iconic. I'm going to say love it. You're just going to hear me say it throughout this entire episode and probably also our audio commentary. Right. Everything about this movie is working, but particularly this music piece. This is just so memorable whenever I hear it outside of Scream or inside. It is Dewey's theme. It brings me right back to when I first saw this film. Um, okay, but yeah, all right, so yeah, that, that's mine. But what about yours, Joe? What's next? So mine is so challenging, I couldn't even try to repeat the entire line of dialogue, but it is basically Dewey reading Gale for filth 
uh, while also seemingly not expiring from having zero breath to do it in. Like, I don't even know how he gets this entire monologue out. Oh, I think about it every time because you can tell by the end he's straining. It's like when you're singing a karaoke and like you, you're trying to not breathe before you take mm-hmm. your next breath before when you finish the verse. And I'm choosing to believe this was like a single take thing where it's like, oh, it no, to be. we got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm not going to make you do it again because you nailed it, even though, yeah, it looked like you were about to expire at the end of it. <laughs> so my next one is back into quote land as well. Um, what is the name of the news lady who's in all Nancy these Odell. Nancy Ugh. Odell. OK, um, I hate her. It's I don't, I don't know her except for these movies. because I, I, It's entertainment tonight that she's on. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's whenever they show the clip with her and Tori's uh, Tori spelling, and then we just cut to like, you know, oh, like her and Tori spelling. And she goes, oh, I love scary movies. And it's like, <laughs> the scene you just watched is not, not even scary. a horror scene. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing. And the funny thing is, it's like, that is part of the joke, which means that Nancy O'Dell and Tori spelling were not only in on it, but they were like, yeah, no, we'll act stupid for this movie. It's so funny and good for tori spelling too because again we had the whole joke in that first movie where it's like oh like you know with my luck they'll cast someone like tori spelling and they Mm -hmm. do so tori spelling's even like her existence in this movie is an insult to her as an actress yep (laughs) and she's like you know what fuck it i'll do it yep but that's how popular this fucking movie was everybody wanted to be in it even if you were literally making fun of yourself Mm -hmm. oh boy so uh, my next one is another tie, and it's mostly because they're lines that I say all the time in real life. So the yeah. first is Murphy, played by Portia de Rossi, before she was really famous, uh, when she comes up to Sydney at the party and she goes, hi, no, I really mean that. Hi. <laughs> because it's a line that doesn't make sense. And it's just, <laughs> that's what makes it so funny. Because you're like, wow, no, she really is this stupid. It's just that that gay bitchiness coming out of Kim mm-hmm. Williamson. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm choosing to believe that Portia de Ross's character is based on that girl from House on Sorority Row, the one that's like, but how do we know she is alive? Oh, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Because no. <laughs> she looks the same too. <laughs> She kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, what's it tied with? Okay, so this one, I don't know if anyone else appreciates this the way that I do, but my sister and I used to yell this across the house at each other. It's Randy's line about Gail Weathers when she's doing, basically interrupting uh, Chief Hartley during his press conference. And he just looks at her, squints, and goes, she had calf implants. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, like, look, if you had just said this line, I would absolutely know. Yeah, that's Randy and Scream too. But it's, mm-hmm. I don't find it that funny. <laughs> it's because calf implants are one of the most ridiculous forms of mm. plastic surgery that you could possibly get. And in general, it's not something a lot of women would get. Like when you look at Gail slash Courtney Cox, her calves are amazing, but it's also because she wears high-heeled shoes, which accentuate your calves. Right. I was going to say, isn't she wearing a dress too? But it's like a knee-length dress, so I guess like it's a businesswoman's dress. It is absolutely not knee-length, sir. She only wears like micro skirts. Oh, right. I'm movie. sorry. It, it's like half thigh length. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very nearly to the knee. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's it. Um, okay, yep. well, I, I have another tie for quotes soon. It actually is also about Gail. Um, I love yeah. hearing Courtney Cox say fuck. And of course you do. While I, I, her fuck, whenever the she's in the room, the AV room uh, and the doors, it doesn't yes. lock. I love that. It's not my two. So I have a tie. And it is one when Joel is talking to her outside of the the, um, outside of Omega Beta Zeta mm-hmm. and she just goes do not fuck with me 
<laughs> Love that. <laughs> and then whenever uh oh when once Randy has died and yeah. Dewey's like kind of like getting on her shit and she's like, I just want to find this fucker. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does get to drop more than a few F-bombs in this movie, and she always delivers them with, like, extreme gusto. It's just, I mean, because like, were you a Friends watcher? Did you watch Friends growing up? Yeah, but it was, like, casual. I wasn't obsessed with it the way a lot of other folks were. Okay, yeah. So I was. it was definitely, like, a, a like musty TV, like, Thursday night, like, Friends, Will and Grace. And then mm-hmm. once WB, like, like the, the syndication started for Friends when it was still on... I would come home and watch like two episodes of Friends every day. Oh, <laughs> Reruns. Sure. So uh, I just see again, just like, you know, watching my good girl, Courtney Cox, and then just spouting out fucks and scream. Love it. Dirty girl. Dirty girl. <laughs> um, okay. So this is another one that I have nostalgia for because of my sister. So when we were growing up, our favorite uh, Star Wars film was Return of the Jedi, which is a very uncommon selection when you have the Empire Strikes Back. But we were kids. And part of the reason that we like that movie is because we really like the Ewoks. (laughs) So to hear Mickey disparage the Ewoks to Hallie when she says that she likes those little furry things and he goes, those are Ewoks, they blow. I'm just like, wow, Mickey just read me to fiddle. (laughs) But you know what, though? That's a pretty common consensus, I think, for Star Wars fans is that the Ewoks do blow. But you're not alone because my husband has made me watch. Oh, my God. It's one of those like battle for indoor like the Ewoks. Uh I guess. Oh, God. He made me watch that when we first started dating. and I did not get it. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually two of them. In the second one, they kill all of Sindel's family. And it's really traumatizing. Uh, It's kinder trauma. It just goes into that whole like that uncanny like Muppet shit that I don't like to see. So I don't care for the Ewoks at all. Fair. They fair. blow. They blow. <laughs> um, so I, I started out with my next note just saying the Showgirls reference, if only because mm-hmm. um, it was how I first heard about Showgirls. And that line was at the end of every TV spot for this movie. So I remember oh, yes. asking my dad, what Showgirls? Why is it such a scary movie? And my dad, like, <laughs> I didn't get the joke. Um, but I'm actually going to pull it back and just say Randy's death in general, because okay. I know a lot of people hold his death against Scream 2. Yep. Which is ironic to me, considering how many of the same people were bitching about how we weren't killing off any of the original trio in four and why we eventually killed Dewey in five. <gasps> Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that it, it's not on the same level as killing Drew Barrymore, but it's a mm-hmm. character we have come to know and love. Killed in broad daylight. There's a fucking mm-hmm. boombox, or as you would say, a no, no, no. <laughs> there's a fucking boombox in here. It's so silly. But again, I just love the uh, the the gall to kill this character in this way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it it's the moment where you start to feel like the franchise actually could kill any of these characters. And the fact that it only happens twice in the five films that we've had so far is a bit of a testament to they're reticent to pull that trigger. But when they do, they make it count. Yes. Yeah, they sure do. But, um, yeah, they, they just didn't do it for three and four, which honestly I'm fine with. I didn't. I'm also fine with yeah. my, my thing with four is like, you know, like we didn't think we were going to get another one of those movies. So I'm actually I was fine mm-hmm. having the end of the franchise, quote unquote, leave all of them alive. Well, that was three and four, right? Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Valid point. So one person that they did not hesitate to kill is Sarah Michelle Gellar. She (laughs) plays Cece in this, and I don't know that I will ever forgive Scream 2 for doing this. This was 
pretty much at the height of my Buffy hysteria. Yeah. I'd been watching season one, like double dosing episodes all summer long. And then, of course, that iconic Entertainment Weekly cover mm-hmm. story on Scream 2 came out and she's on the cover with the other girls. So I definitely thought that CC was going to be a main character. I'm always crushed whenever she dies. But I will say there is something just so memorable and iconic and lovely about the way Sarah Michelle Gellar answers a phone, Omega Beta Zeta. I say, oh, I, I have never been a part of the Greek system. I don't know Greek letters, but goddamn, if I don't say Omega Beta Zeta mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, such a, again, to put this little time capsule, so October of 97, uh, we've got, I know you did last summer, she dies, mm-hmm. December of 97, Scream 2, and also while th- this same semester, if you will, is season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, right. I mean, it is like Sarah Michelle Gellar mania this time of year. Oh, yeah. She is the moment. She is the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next one. OK, I've got a I've got a general one and then I'm going to pinpoint one thing in it. But it is, of course, the car chase sequence um, that we mm-hmm. get, that we get with Sid and Hallie. Um, it is we don't see a lot of cars in horror movies They're like sequences set around or in cars, unless, you know, it's like Cujo or Christine. Right. So the fact that we get something like this, and I think if I remember correctly, there was going to be something like it in the first movie that they couldn't use or mm. Mm, no, no, no. Kevin Williamson was going to use it in another movie and he couldn't. Right. I, I think it was hollow. No, you know what? I don't even know what it is. I'm not even going to say, but nevertheless, it gets <laughs> repurposed here. And the part that I love about it, and it's such a silly thing, um, it's whenever Hallie is crawling over Ghostface. And again, like th- right. this is suspense. You know, we have the... Can- it's, cra- yeah, it's the tensest sequence, I would argue, in all five films. Yeah, like the camera is like zoomed up on Ghostface's knocked out mask face. And then we're like seeing like Hallie, the horn honks at the worst possible time. But whenever Sydney is pulling Hallie out of the chair, the score, again, it's this weird piece of score that doesn't really fit the rest of the movie and i have one of these things for three too that we'll talk about i'm sure next year but mm-hmm. um it's just like this this flutes that are going and it doesn't sound like the rest of the score at all but right. i love it <laughs> yeah i i just love craven's patience and folks once again you can hear us react to this in real time on the audio commentary but just everything about this sequence feels measured and extremely well paced so that your nerves are about to fray from tension like watching hallie and sydney trying to crawl out of this fucking window is probably one of the moments in my teenhood when i was watching horror films where i was just like i fucking feel this like with every fiber of my being i am so nervous right now and you are right like this is the most tense scene in the entire film i mean in the entire franchise and there is another one that we'll get to in a minute but like nothing in three four or five has matched the suspense in this scene yeah yeah i'm i'm eager to hear jenna ortega say that there's going to be chase scenes in the new film because this and i know what you did last summer Whenever we talk about contemporary Mm -hmm. suspense sequences, we turn to those two. And there's a reason. Yep. Yep. 100%. But um, but (sighs) you've got a quieter moment next on your list. I do. I love the overt theatricality of this film. You know, uh, 
on my YA podcast, Brenda and I talk a lot about something called coincidental classes. It's a very common YA trope that whatever you're studying in class will come into play in the narrative of the film. So I love Sydney's struggle with the Cassandra complex where she knows what's going to happen in the future because she has lived through all of this shit before. And Scream 2 leans into that by literally having her live it out on stage in this production I love the costumes, that crushed red velvet. I love the <laughs> set design of this, which we actually get to see play out in the climax on stage. And even just like David Warner with his sage advice where he pops up for like, what, two scenes? Yeah. And it's just everything about this particular aspect of Sydney's arc works so fucking well for me. But it's her emotional vulnerability that I think sells her transformation into an ultimate final girl in this movie. Yeah, I would agree with you. And actually, historically, this has been my least favorite scene in the film because it is like this kind of we're slowing down the action here. This is a much more (laughs) introspective scene that is more so about Sydney's state of mind. Yeah, or even like, is she going fucking crazy because she's hallucinating things during the rehearsal? Yes, and so, uh, but I'm happy to report that yes, like over the years, I have very much warmed to this scene. It just, yeah, it's hmm. it's just in right in the middle of this movie. It is. It, it, yeah. I think it used to kill the pacing for me, and it doesn't anymore because I appreciate what it does for Sydney. Uh huh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, growth for you. There we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to my car car escape, though. Um, so, well, I do kind of hate the way in which Hallie gets killed because I do think it's kind of dumb. And also Sid's fault, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's like, look, I, I don't want to like talk about logic too much in these movies, but they are really okay. good about making things realistic. Uh-huh. Ghostface sneaking out of this car and working around this construction to kill Double Howie. backing, yeah. It doesn't uh-huh. make any sense. No. But... I love the over-the-top squelching sounds that oh. that because we don't we don't see Hallie get stabbed. Like we I think we get like one stab, and I then we so. just see Sid's reaction as we hear. Yeah, it's all in our minds based on these <laughs> sound effects: the sound of leather being pierced by a sharp blade. It is, but it sounds so wet and i guess you could argue it is because she's bleeding but uh more so than any of the other stabs in this movie though yes it's just so it's such a loud sound effect and i don't Mm -hmm. know why it's there and i don't even know if it's particularly good but i like it (laughs) (laughs) it's memorable we'll give you that yeah 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 but okay now you have now what is my favorite scene in this film next Ooh, yes. So this would be Gail's chase sequence. Well, it's it's not even really a chase, right? It's just an evasion. It starts at the bottom of this auditorium, and then she's got to find an open door in the hallway, and then she's making her way past these soundproof barriers, and it all culminates with Dewey getting stabbed. It isn't exciting in the same tense way that Sydney and Hallie's car escape is, but it's the the way that Craven moves the camera for me, where yeah. it's like we're floating back and forth as we watch Gail try to dodge getting discovered in this really tight room. I love the way that space is captured in this sequence, and it's just another classic all-timer. No, and this is the one that Jenna Ortega singled out. Like They're trying to have more scenes like this in oh, Scream 6. Oh, God. Oh, I think I just came. But, but you're right, though. It is the fact that he does, in the room with the sound foam thingamajigs like Mm -hmm. that is maybe maybe 30 seconds of screen time and 
It feels like it goes on forever, though. Well, because you hit the nail on the head, though. The fact that we keep it in one shot. And yeah, the camera's like floating. And I love, you know, oh, she rounds the corner just as Ghostface mm-hmm. comes out from behind one of the ah, other things. It's so good. It's, it's so, again, it's not like scary, but you are on the edge of your seat during mm-hmm. this scene. And as we always talk about with, with Wes Craven, yeah, he's captured the geography. Even though we've never seen this room before. No. Nope. We know what this room is because he takes us through it during the scene in question. It's so mm-hmm. good. It's so good. This is one of my top scenes of, like, all time. Not even in this franchise. Wow. Impressive. So, um, okay. So we're kind of moving into the climax here. Mm-hmm. So once we get the reveal that it's Mickey, the reveal, you know, where he's like, oh, I got a secret partner in the wings. And, like, we get the Gale fake out, which I actually do really mm-hmm. like. Because I do think for a split second, you're just like. You really do believe it could be Gale. E- yep. Even though everything we have seen before this would makes it very clear she is not. But for a split second, you were like, oh, my God, it's Gale. Mm-hmm. So B- Mrs. Loomis, Debbie Salt comes out. And I just <laughs> love Timothy Olyphant's delivery of Billy's mother. Nice twist, huh? Didn't see it coming, did you? <laughs> the way that he, like tilts his head back to scream it at the sky there's something just it's such a specifically interesting choice that i feel like we don't always see particularly in slasher reveals right like people don't get to have fun with the reveal the way that they do in a scream film Mm -hmm. but even though i don't think mickey is like most people's top pick for a ghost face reveal oliphant is just chewing into this oh yeah it's honestly yeah him yelling into the ceiling is like the equivalent of ready for act three or welcome to act three that jill doesn't scream four and um amber doesn't scream five so it's Mm -hmm. it's just almost like a a, a meta commentary on just the narrative itself (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so mine is actually taking a step back before the mickey reveal and it's when sydney comes across derek's body on the stage and I mean, the screen booms have never been highly sexual. They do often deal with issues of sex, but it's often very slut chamey around Sidney's mother and whether or not she's going to lose her virginity in that first film. So I love that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven finally deem it worthy to give us a little bit of boy eye candy with Jerry O'Connell looking absolutely fit as fuck crucified on this stage production in nothing but boxer briefs and (laughs) my david dakota loving heart just kind of swelled and maybe other parts of me also swelled but in 1997 this was a nice moment (laughs) i also do love too that once mickey shoots him uh sydney tries to like she covers up the wound with her hand for a bit as it just starts gushing blood just fruitlessly trying to stop the bleeding it hurts. Poor Sydney. So, okay, my final individual pick before we get to your individual pick and then our group one, our final big number. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually from the end credits of the movie. And it is because, uh-huh. so, you know, during the end credits, we always get like, oh, like the, the cast next to their picture from the film. Uh-huh. So we get this punk pop cover of the partridge families i think i love you and it's sung by the band less such than a Jay. choice i okay i love this version to the point where i sought out the cd just oh, so sure. i could have this song um mm-hmm. and it, it's such a weird cover of it and i i don't know if it was because oh they like less than jake already covered it and they thought it was good so they put it in the movie or if they they wanted to put the song in the movie and they commissioned less than jake to do it or what, what reason was it for Un- unless maybe remember copycat whenever they do mm-hmm. the son of sam stuff and there's partridge family st- playing on the radio oh right mm-hmm. i just wonder wonder and I, I i don't think this is probably true but i'm just gonna i'm gonna reach for the stars here and just sure. say that that was a reference to the son of sam killings i don't know <laughs> okay yeah 
You know what? If you're wrong, someone will correct you, I'm sure. Nevertheless, I fucking love this song. I think it's so fun. Um, p- punk Goes Pop is like one of my favorite subgenres of music, and this is mm-hmm. perfect for me. Nice. Well, I'm glad that you didn't pick, you know, the Creed song that closes out the movie as well. Oh, God, no. It's so so literally every time I watched Scream 2 as a kid, I would like fast forward to the Creed song because it mm-hmm. takes like 45 seconds of that before we get to the less than jake song <laughs> oh sure yeah we got to crane up over woodsboro college that whole fucking time and yeah. it's like just get to the less than jake already i think exactly in the credits we get to like the costume design by cassandra whoever and then it's boom then we cut to the less than jake stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay what's your last individual pick before we get to the piece de resistance Okay, so mine is a final line of dialogue, and that is Sydney telling Mickey what did she do to basically get to this point. <laughs> and it's it's basically to me the moment that Sydney truly switches from I'm a, a girl who runs and she doesn't want to deal with things. Like the whole movie is about her coming to final girl ascendancy status. And when she says, I fucking killed him about Billy Loomis, mm-hmm. you're just like it's a cheerworthy fist pump moment in this movie. And I think it cements Sidney Prescott as just like one of the all timers. It really is that you're forgetting one thing about Billy Yumas. Oh yeah. What's that? Mm-hmm. I fucking killed him. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. But okay. So this but is it's not our top pick. <laughs> well, because Joe, we haven't really even mentioned this character. The white pantsuit in the room, you might say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly it. So, Joe, what is the one number one thing we love about Scream 2? I mean, nothing could be gayer than us choosing Debbie Salt's final monologue at the end of this movie. Laurie Metcalf is eating for days. You can tell, like, so much of this performance is just about getting to this moment. Like, who fucking cares about all the scenes creeping around Gail Mm -hmm. in the background? It is this villain monologue in this iconic white pantsuit that just absolutely seals the deal. The whole fucking thing, her crazy eyes, and then mm-hmm. it's the, let them try and track down the second possible killer. Debbie Salt doesn't exist. And it's, <laughs> if you look at her face when she is saying Debbie Salt doesn't exist, it is, uh-huh. and that's also a quote that my husband and I will just say to each other all the time. Yeah, <laughs> no context. Um, yeah, so I rewatching this today. I was like, I was like, I could literally come up with 25 things I love about this scene. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, it is just the whole fucking thing. I mean, I love how the stones that are used in the stage play are apparently very heavy, even though mm-hmm. they look just like styrofoam. They're made of foam. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I love it, the way she cowers uh, behind uh, uh, Sydney, where she's like, "Huh, huh, cotton, huh." Um, whenever after Sydney, like you know, does all the switches, and she's like walking back calmly, and then Mrs. Loomis like jumps through the backdrop to get her. Oh man, there's a, a just a shot. So Sydney escapes out of frame, and then you just see. Lori Metcalf just like scream with just like bloodlust in her eyes mm-hmm. as she is completely lost. It. Also, the against type casting of casting Lori Metcalf and Jackie oh, yeah. and Roseanne at the time in this role is yeah, so out of the box. So good. Well, it, I think I've told you this. Like, I didn't like this was my least favorite killer reveal when I was a kid because I didn't like that the the killer wasn't someone we knew. And even though it mm-hmm. was, it mm-hmm. was like this, you know, oh, she had an identity and blah, supporting blah, blah. character. I didn't even pay attention to her. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And it is a, it now has become literally my favorite climax of the entire franchise, specifically oh, sure. because of this performance. Yeah, I feel like there's. It's just teetering on the line of outright absolute camp. 
but it's yeah. still serious enough that you're really actually worried about what's going to happen. Like you have to take Mrs. Loomis seriously because she will fucking kill you. Yeah, she is a legitimate threat while also being completely um, unhinged. And ridiculous. Yeah. Like watching yeah. her try to break down that door. I'm just like, girl, we need to get you therapy. <laughs> she needs to like, you know, get, build some momentum up and not just like. Ugh, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Okay, everyone. Well, those are 25 reasons why we, Joe and I, your horror queers love Scream 2, but we want to know why do you like Scream 2? And get weird with it. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. give us your general ones like we've given you, but give us those weird, like, what's a sound bite that you like? What's a shot or some, something going on in the background that you like? Those are always the things that are really fun for me. And so, you know, sound off. Yeah. Check out the news. Check out the news. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, uh, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed talking about it. And, you know, uh, if you've missed out, go sign up for our $10 tier on the Patreon and listen to our Scream 2 audio commentary. And by listen to it, I mean you get to watch it with us in real time. So it's really fun. Mm hmm. Yeah, we're coming up on like 220 hours of content on that Patreon. So Ooh, God. Uh, all of the good stuff, including a Scream audio commentary as well. But yeah, I mean, that Scream 2, hot and fresh, right up the presses, <laughs> folks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, stay tuned for our main feed episode on Wrong Turn 4 Bloody Beginnings this week. Uh, but, you know, until then, I guess we can cross out 25 reasons to love Scream 2. Indeed, and cross out horror queers. 